0: section two of astounding stories thirteen january nineteen thirty one by various this librivox recording is in the public domain the dark side of Antry, by seawall peasley wright part b is that possible sir i asked eagerly glancing around the room how come with me said the master of the council gently alone for too many near him excites this terrible messenger you have your minore? no i had not thought there would be need of it the menores of those days it should be remembered were heavy cumbersome circlets that were worn upon the head like a sort of crown and one did not go so equipped unless in real need of the device Today, of course your menores are but jewelled trinkets that convey thought a score of times more effectively and weigh but a tenth as much "'It is a lack easily remedied,' Borey excused himself with a little bow and hurried out into the great council-chamber, to appear again in a moment with the menorah in either hand. "'Now, if your companions and mine will excuse us for a moment—' He smiled around the seated group apologetically. There was a murmur of assent, and the old man opened a door in the other side of the room. "'It is not far,' he said. "'I will go first and show you the way.' He led me quickly down a long narrow corridor to a pair of steep stairs that circled far down into the very foundation of the building. The walls of the corridor and the stairs were without windows, but were as bright as noonday from the ethon tubes which were set into both ceiling and walls. Silently we circled our way down the spiral stairs, and silently the master of the council paused before a door at the bottom—a door of dull red metal this is the keeping place of those who come before the council charged with wrong-doing explained bori Tilber. his fingers rested upon and pressed certain of a ring of small white buttons in the face of the door and it opened swiftly and noiselessly we entered and the door closed behind us with a soft thud behold one of those who live in the darkness said the master of the council grimly do not put on the menore till you have a grip upon yourself i would not have him know how greatly he disturbs us I nodded dumbly, holding the heavy menore dangling in my hand. I have said that I have beheld strange worlds and strange people in my life, and it is true that I have. I have seen the headless people of that red world Iralo, the ant people, the dragonfly people, the terrible carnivorous trees of L. 472, and the pointed heads of a people who live upon a world which may not be named. But I have still to see a more terrible creature than that which lay before me now. He, or it, was reclining upon the floor for the reason that he could not have stood. No room save one with a vaulted ceiling such as the great council-chamber could offer room enough for this creature to walk erect. He was, roughly, a shade better than twice my height. Yet I believe he would have weighed but little more. You have seen rank weeds that have grown up in the darkness to reach the sun if you can imagine a man who had done likewise you can perhaps picture that which i saw before me his legs at the thigh were no larger than my arm and his arms were but half the size of my wrist and jointed twice instead of but once he wore a careless garment of some dirty yellow shaggy hide and his skin revealed on feet and arms and face was a terrible bloodless white the dead white of a fish's belly maggot white the white of something that had never known the sun The head was small and round, with features that were a caricature of man's. His ears were huge, and had the power of movement, for they cocked forward as we entered the room. The nose was not prominently arched, but the nostrils were wide, and very thin, as was his mouth, which was faintly tinged with dusky blue, instead of healthy red. At one time his eyes had been nearly round, and in proportion very large. Now they were but shadowy pockets mercifully covered by shrunken, wrinkled lids that twitched but did not lift. He moved as we entered, and from a reclining position propped up on the double elbows of one spidery arm, he changed to a sitting position that brought his head nearly to the ceiling. He smiled sickeningly, and a queer, sibilant whispering came from the bluish lips. "'That is his way of talking,' exclaimed Bory Tulber. "'His eyes, you will note, have been gouged out. They cannot stand the light.' They prepared their messenger carefully for his work, you'll see. He placed his minore upon his head, and motioned me to do likewise. The creature searched the floor with one white, leathery hand, and finally located his minore, which he adjusted clumsily. You will have to be very attentive, explained my companion. He expresses himself in terms of pictures only, of course, and his is not a highly developed mind. I shall try to get him to go over the entire story for us again, if I can make him understand. Emanate nothing yourself. He is easily confused." I nodded silently, my eyes fixed with a sort of fascination upon the creature from the darkness, and waited. Back on the ertak again. I called all my officers together for a conference gentlemen i said we are confronted with a problem of such gravity that i doubt my ability to describe it clearly briefly this civilized beautiful portion of antri is menaced by a terrible fate in the dark portion of this unhappy world there live a people who have the lust of conquest in their hearts and the means at hand with which to wreck this world of perpetual sunlight i have the ultimatum of this people direct from their messenger They want a terrible tribute in the form of slaves. These slaves would have to live in perpetual darkness and wait upon the whims of the most monstrous beings these eyes of mine have ever seen. And the number of slaves demanded would, as nearly as I could gather, mean about a third of the entire population. Further tribute in the form of sufficient food to support these slaves is also demanded. But in God's name, sir, burst forth Croy, his eyes blazing. By what means do they propose to enforce their infamous demands? By the power of darkness and a terrible cataclysm. Their wise men, and it would seem that some of them are not unversed in science, have discovered a way to unbalance this world, so that they can cause darkness to creep over this land that has never known it. And as darkness advances, these people of the sun will be utterly helpless before a race that loves darkness and can see in it like cats. That, gentleman is the fate which confronts this world of entry." There was a ghastly silence for a moment, and then Croix, always impetuous, spoke up again. "'How do they propose to do this thing, sir?' he asked hoarsely. "'With devilish simplicity. They have a great canal dug nearly to the great polar cap of ice. Should they complete it, the hot waters of their seas will be liberated upon this vast ice-field, and the warm waters will melt it quickly if you have not forgotten your lessons gentlemen you will remember since most of you are of earth that our scientists tell us our own world turned over in much this same fashion from natural means and established for itself new poles is that not true grave almost frightened nods travelled around the little semicircle of white thoughtful faces and is there nothing sir that we can do asked kincaid my second officer in an awed whisper that is the purpose of this conclave to determine what may be done we have our bombs and our rays it is true but what is the power of this one ship against the people of half a world and such a people i shuddered despite myself at the memory of that grinning creature in the cell far below the floor of the council chamber this city and its thousands we might save it is true but not the whole half of this world and that is the task the council and its master have set before us "'Would it be possible to frighten them?' asked Croy. "'I gather that they are not an advanced race. "'Perhaps a show of power. "'The rays. "'The atomic pistol. "'Bombs. "'Call it strategy, sir, or just plain bluff. "'It seems the only chance.' "'You have heard the suggestion, gentlemen,' I said. "'Has anyone a better?' "'How does Mr. Croy plan to frighten these people of the darkness?' asked Kincaid, who was always practical. "'By going to their country, in this ship,' and then letting events take their course replied croy promptly details will have to be settled on the spot as i see it i believe mr croy is right i decided the messenger of these people must be returned to his own kind the sooner the better he has given me a mental map of his country i believe that it will be possible for me to locate the principal city in which his ruler lives we will take him there and then may god aid us gentlemen amen nodded Croy, and the echo of the word ran from lip to lip like the prayer it was. When do we start? I hesitated for just an instant. Now, I brought forth crisply, immediately. We are gambling with the fate of a world, of fine and happy people. Let us throw the dice quickly, for the strain of waiting will not help us. Is that as you would wish it, gentlemen? It is, sir, came the grave chorus. Very well mr croy please report with a detail of 10 men to borey tulber and tell him of our decision bring the messenger back with you the rest of you gentlemen to your stations make any preparations you may think advisable be sure that every available exterior light is in readiness let me be notified the moment the messenger is on board and we are ready to take off thank you gentlemen i hastened to my quarters and brought the ertax log down to the minute explaining in detail the course of action we had decided upon and the reasons for it i knew as did all the Urtax officers who had saluted so crisply and so coolly gone about the business of carrying out my orders that we would return from our trip to the dark side of entry triumphant or not at all even in these soft days men still respect the stern proud motto of our service nothing less than complete success the special patrol does what it is ordered to do or no man returns to present excuses that is a tradition to bring tears of pride to the eyes of even an old man in whose hands there is strength only for the wielding of a pen and i was young in those days it was perhaps a quarter of an hour when word came from the navigating-room that the messenger was aboard and we were ready to depart I closed the log, wondering, I remember, if I would ever make another entry therein, and if not, whether the words I had just inscribed would ever see the light of day. The love of life is strong in men so young. Then I hurried to the navigating-room, and took charge. Borey had furnished me with large-scale maps of the daylight portion of entry, from the information conveyed to me by the messenger of the people of darkness, the Chizzi they called themselves as nearly as I could get the sound, I rapidly sketched in the map of the other side of Antri, locating their principal city with a small black circle. Realizing that the location of the city we sought was only approximate, we did not bother to work out exact bearings. We set the Ertak on her course at a height of only a few thousand feet, and set out at low atmospheric speed, anxiously watching for the dim line of shadow that marked the twilight zone, and the beginning of what promised to be the last mission of the Ertak and every man she carried within her smooth-gleaming body. "'Twilight Zone in view, sir,' reported Croy at length. "'Thank you, Mr. Croy. Have all the exterior lights and searchlights turned on, speed and course as at present, for the time being.' I picked up the Twilight Zone without difficulty in the television disc, and at full power examined the terrain. The rich crops that fairly burst from the earth of the sunlit portion of Antri were not to be observed here. The Antrians made no effort to till this ground, and I doubt that it would have been profitable to do so even had they wished to come so close to the darkness they hated. The ground seemed dank, and great dark slugs moved heavily upon its greasy surface. Here and there strange pale growths grew in patches—twisted, spotted growths that seemed somehow unhealthy and poisonous. I searched the country ahead, pressing further and further into the line of darkness that was swiftly approaching as the light of the sun faded our monstrous searchlights cut into the gloom ahead their great beams slashing the shadows in the dark country i had expected to find little if any vegetable growth instead i found that it was a veritable jungle through which even our searchlight rays could not pass how tall the growths of this jungle might be i could not tell yet i had the feeling that they were tall indeed they were not trees these pale weedy arms that reached towards the dark sky they were soft and pulpy and without leaves, just long, naked, sickly arms that divided and subdivided and ended in little smooth stumps like amputated limbs. That there was some kind of activity within the shelter of this weird jungle was evident enough, for I could catch glimpses now and then of moving things, but what they might be, even the searching eye of the television disc, could not determine. One of our searchlight beams, waving through the darkness like the curious antenna of some monstrous insect came to rest upon a spot far ahead i followed the beam with the disk and bent closer to make sure my eyes did not deceive me i was looking at a vast cleared place in the pulpy jungle a cleared space in the center of which there was a city a city built of black sweating stone each house exactly like every other house tall thin slices of stone without windows chimneys or ornamentation of any kind the only break in the walls was the slit-like door of each house Instead of being arranged along streets crossing each other at right angles, these houses were built in concentric circles, broken only by four narrow streets, then ran from the open space in the centre of the city to the four points of the compass. Around the entire city was an exceedingly high wall built of and buttressed with the black, sweating stone of which the houses were constructed. That it was a densely populated city there was ample evidence. People they were creatures like the messenger. That the Chizzi are a people, despite their terrible shape, is hardly debatable. Were running up and down the four radial streets, and around the curved connecting streets, in the wildest confusion, their double-elbowed arms flung across their eyes. But even as I watched, the crowd thinned and melted swiftly away, until the streets of the queer circular city were utterly deserted. "'The city ahead is not the one we are seeking, sir?' asked Croy, who had evidently been observing the scene through one of the smaller television discs. "'I take it that Governing City will be farther in the interior?' "'According to my rather sketchy information, yes,' I replied. "'However, keep all the searchlight operators busy, going over every bit of the country within the reach of their beams. You have men on all the auxiliary television discs, "'Yes, sir.' "'Good. Any findings of interest should be reported to me instantly.' And Mr. Croy. Yes, sir. You might order, if you will, that rations be served all men at their posts. Over such country as this I felt it would be wise to have every man ready for an emergency. It was, perhaps, as well that I issued this order. It was perhaps half an hour after we had passed the circular city, when, far ahead, I could see the pale, unhealthy forest thinning out. A half-dozen of our searchlight beams played upon the denuded area and as I brought the television disc to bear, I saw that we were approaching a vast swamp, in which little pools of black water reflected the dazzling light of our searching beams. Nor was this all. Out of the swamp a thousand strange winged things were rising—yellowish, bat-like things, with forked tails and fierce hooked beaks. And like some obscene miasma from the swamp, they rose and came straight for the Urtak instantly i pressed the attention signal that warned every man on the ship all disintegrator rays in action at once i barked into the transmitter broad beams and full energy Birdlike creatures dead ahead do not cease action until ordered i heard the disintegrator ray generators deepen their notes before i finished speaking and i smiled grimly turning to corey slow down as quickly and as much as possible mr corey i ordered we have work to do ahead he nodded and gave the order to the operating room i felt the forward surge that told me my order was being obeyed and turned my attention again to the television disc the ray operators were doing their work well the searchlights showed the air streaked with fine siftings of greasy dust and these strange winged creatures were disappearing by the scores as the disintegrator rays beat and played upon them but they came on gamely fiercely Where there had been thousands, there were but hundreds—scores—dozens. There were only five left. Three of them disappeared at once, but the two remaining came on unhesitatingly, their dirty yellow bat-like wings flapping heavily, their naked heads outstretched, and hooked beaks snapping. One of them disappeared in a little sifting of greasy dust, and the same ray dissolved one wing of the remaining creature. He turned over suddenly, the one good wing flapping wildly, and tumbled towards the waiting swamp that had spawned him. Then, as the ray eagerly followed him, the last of that hellish brood disappeared. "'Circle slowly, Mr. Corey,' I ordered. I wanted to make sure there were none of these terrible creatures left. I felt that nothing so terrible should be left alive, even in a world of darkness.'" End of Part B